Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg Shrizavasti, Flick City. Another episode, very quick episode because this was done spur of the moment, which is really good. I didn't do any work for this and I'm happy for that as well. But here's the thing. This is the good news. This is value-added content. This is a discussion of the Jordan Peele movie, Nope, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen this weekend. I don't know if Anderson has seen it. I know he's going to be a little... uh, He might be out of town this this week or I don't even know what his movie watching schedule is. I won't be seeing this movie. Um, I still haven't seen Us, okay? So I need to see Us. I don't even know if I'll see Nope during its theatrical run. Maybe when it comes for awards consideration later this year, maybe I'll see it down the line. I'm excited to see this movie as well. It looks like a making of Hollywood history type of movie. I like the trailer, blah, blah, blah. But you know who has seen it? Bruce Perky, Eric Holmes from Find Your Film, and of course here on Cinematics, they host the first episode of every month. Okay, so they've seen it. So they're going to talk about it. They're going to talk about it with their friends, my friends too, and fellow podcasters, Andrew Martin from Andrew Watches Movies and William Lindis from the Movie Bears podcast. Well, both William Lindis and Andrew Martin are huge, huge cinephiles, and hopefully you're going to get some really great insights from their take regarding regarding Nope. So just they really they they really class up the joint, both William Lindis and Andrew. Andrew Martin. So again, Andrew watches movies and Movie Bears podcast for William Lindis. Find your films, cinematics. What else can, am I going to say? But most importantly, tell us if you really enjoyed Nope. Was it a come down compared to us or Get Get Out? Is is uh, yeah? How do you feel about Nope? Anyways, I will shut up right now. This is a pretty elongated, long discussion regarding Nope. You may be lost while I was trying to edit this. While while I was trying to edit this whole thing, I had no idea what they were talking about. That's the idea of spoilers. But instead of a five to ten minute spoilers kind of discussion, which I'm used to, they go, they get into it for almost an hour. So hopefully if you are a fan or maybe not even a fan and you want things explained regarding Nope, take a listen right now. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on the Cinematics podcast feed and the universe and the whole Facebook group and all that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Nope. Right now. Spoiler alert. Stop right now if you haven't seen the movie or if you don't care. Keep on going and hear, the, hear Andrew Martin, William Lindis, Bruce Berkey, and Eric Holmes talk about nope all right welcome to the cinematic hodgepodge i am not part of find your film but i'm going to introduce it here i am andrew martin from andrew watches movies and um the internet trolling people about marvel uh we have bruce perky with us william lindis from movie bears podcast and eric holmes bruce and eric both from find your film and usually of the cinema hodgepodge Today, we are going to do a spoiler discussion on Nope, um, which the only thing I think I can say online about it is Nope is dope, because I really don't want to spoil this movie for people whatsoever. So, Well, well, that's what we're going to do here. Yes, yes. But this is why everybody that's listening to this, if you have not seen the movie, stop what you're doing right now and go see it. And shoot, why do I have my... See, you're going to hear some voices, I guess, or some some beeps, because I'm not set up completely right. <laughs> I always hear voices. That's just normal. That's yeah, fine. that's, I mean, I, I feel like that's appropriate for this particular group and the types of movies that this particular group likes, right? Yeah. Yes. I, so I, if you hear a little beep or something, I'm sorry. I usually hear voices too, but they're usually telling me to do really mundane things. It's time to go <laughs> to the bathroom. Don't forget to wipe this time. We'll be starting in an hour. Do your dishes, Eric. <laughs> all, all those mundane things. 
But the but one I, time it tells me to kill someone, I'd be like, well, it was right all the other times. <laughs> or oh, no, he no. just like, nah, sounds like too much effort, right? <laughs> like, no. So, you know, you hit on something pretty good, Andrew. Like, uh, we're going to spoil this thing right out the gate, right? Like, um, there are going to be other uh, episodes. In fact, we're doing one on our show um, where we're going to do a little bit more of a non-spoiler review uh, later this week. But uh, this is a movie where it's really, really easy to lose some of the impact of it by being spoiled on it. Like this is one where you should go in, you know, maybe you've seen a trailer, that's it, you know, go in as, as cold as possible and just enjoy it. So yeah, if you are one of those people who wandered across this and is using this to sort of decide whether or not you want to watch Nope or not. um, I think our recommendation across the board is yes, go see it, but then come back and listen to the show. Yeah, Yeah. I would say too, if you haven't seen it yet, Nope is its main goal is to be an entertaining movie. Um, It does have some good like points to it and everything, but mainly it's, it's entertainment. Like he wants like to be Spielberg for this movie. He doesn't want to be, um, but like with get out, get out is definitely a message movie. Get out has a lot that it's saying about things, a lot about society. Nope has little bits, but it's almost like he took a challenge from people that were criticizing him. Uh, Kind of like, can you make just a movie for entertainment's sake? And I think he did. I think that he made a really good one for entertainment's sake. I, I, I think there's messages in here. It, it's That's just, what I'm you saying have to, too. You have to you have to really dig like the alien chewing them out and spitting, eating what it wants and spitting out the rest. Um, yeah. And then the uh, the whole uh, supply. Now this this is a part that confused me while I was watching it was all the uh, flashback stuff with the uh, Gordy the monkey. Yeah. All right. We're going to get into that right away. Yeah. yeah, Right away. Bam. Yeah. Assuming you've already seen it. If uh, you haven't, you have no idea what we're talking about. If I remember correctly, they, they open with that. It's just a shot of the monkey all bloody, just kind of poking at one of the bodies. And then they kind of uh, slowly, they slowly bring that expand on that story throughout the movie and flashbacks. And that part, that part kind of confused me because I was like, okay, the monkey went nuts and killed everyone. I thought there was like a bigger, a bigger twist there. And I was like, oh no, the monkey just flipped out and killed everyone. <laughs> so that, well, that can, that kind of threw me off a little bit. I think that, that part um, with Gordy that's going through the movie. Um, I've seen some people online talk, like also saying that they're confused by it, but I really think that that is like the crux of the movie. Yeah. And I don't think the movie works without the Gordy stuff. Because um, you got young Stephen Yoon, who they yeah. show hiding underneath the table during this part, because he used to be an actor. Um, he's on the short-lived kids show that had a horrible, horrible accident on it. And it's the reason that Hollywood didn't work with chimpanzees anymore on set. Because, well, you, you know, like you've got the Clint Eastwood movies where he's driving around in, in like a, a convoy with like a chimp next to him and stuff. It's all fun and games. That stuff went away at a certain point. And there's a lot of people talking about not using animals at all in movies. And I actually think that this is one of the things that it's going for because it's the unpredictability of things. And you also have the horse later on that almost kicks somebody on set because they also think that they've got it handled. They can do all these things, have these lights around, utilize these things for their own benefits, kind of exploiting the animals. And they find out that they're in over their heads with that and they can't do it. And that goes into the alien. Like it's a whole metaphor for like everything in it. So you're absolutely right. Like there's 
to explain the Gordy stuff, you have to sort of think about some of the subtext stuff. And I think it's important to note that like, like was mentioned sort of at the, the outset of this, this episode, um, you can watch this movie and enjoy it strictly from the entertainment perspective. You know, that is one way to do it, but the Gordy stuff really dips into the, uh, the subtext. And there's really two like messages or themes or whatever that I really got from this. And one has to do with exploitation uh, and the other one has to do with spectacle. We end up with this quote right at the very beginning of the, uh, the movie. It's a biblical quote about spectacle. I don't have it pulled up, but uh, no, I'm three six. Noam three six, yeah, and it and it's it's about spectacle, and so all of those two things both um, kind of merge into the story of Gordy because you know two things happen when he's underneath that table. One, this horrific scene is playing out in front of him, and everyone that was exploiting Gordy on set, you know, you know, trying to control something that was essentially a wild creature and it backfired on them. He's seeing all of that play out, but he's not getting the right messages from that. He's seeing the spectacle ahead of him. He's seeing like, Hey, I was able to control this thing by doing the fist bump. You know, he was able to later see the way the spectacle plays out through the Saturday night live sketch that they talk about and the, the trophy room and all of that. So all of that really shows the fatal flaw of the Stephen Yoon character. When he gets everyone together there to have them look up at the sky, he one thinks that he can control and exploit this creature for his own um, uh, means the same way that, you know, he should have learned uh, from the incident that happened when he was a kid. And also the spectacle of it, you know, as we're seeing all of this, you know, up in the sky, everyone is being distracted and pulled into this giant thing and it, eats them alive. And one of the things that we see by the end of this movie, the characters that are most successful are the ones who are able to pull themselves away from the spectacle and focus on what's around them. We even see it right there at the end of the movie where the, the little shot prints out out of the well and um, the Kiki Lane character, instead of, um, you know, going and grabbing the picture and doing all of that, she's not looking up. She's not looking there. She's looking out at something that's more important to her, her relationship to her brother. So those things makes it you can enjoy this movie from a there's a there's cool Sorry, reveals and, no watch um you can um <laughs> you, you can enjoy this movie from all of those just like the the cool like shit that happens in this movie there's a lot of cool shit in it but the themes really cement themselves in the 40 scene and i think by the end of the movie i don't know that i would have had the same I don't know, feeling uh, as to what I was supposed to get away from it as I would if I hadn't sat through the, the Gordy stuff. Also, the Gordy stuff is fucking terrifying and probably oh, the yeah. most terrifying scene of the year. So there's also that. See, a, yep. another thing that kind of threw me off was the uh, the uh, you can't look at the alien because I saw it as like a, like on a deeper level. I saw it as uh, here's something going on and I'm just going to look the other way. Because if I look at it, it's gonna it's gonna come like a kind of like a like a me too thing. Like how come no one speaks up? You know, here's this horrible thing going on right in front of you, and you just tur- you just choose to look the other way because you don't want it to blow back on you somehow. I I, I thought that's where it was going, but then the way See, you're describing that- it, it was it was something else entirely. Yeah, I thought it was a power dynamic thing, and sort of like like with an animal as well. Like okay. Um, Yellowstone Park, we have people right now, um, we've got all these stories of people being like gored by bison up there. And it's because they get too close to the thing. They look the thing in the eye and they think that they know exactly how you're supposed to treat the animal. You can get close it's safe and all of these things. And then it's not. It's like the same thing when the horse sees that orb and it sees its own eye looking back yeah. at him and it freaks out or Gordy 
popping of the balloons. That's like what set it off there. This is an animal. You can't look it in the eye or else it's going to be like, oh, we're fighting now. Like yeah. we're at odds, kind of like an instinctual sort of thing is how I took that with it instead of like, like the looking away and stuff, but focusing on what's important. That's that, that I didn't actually think about. And that's good. And when William was talking, I also thought like taking Gordy out of this movie would be like taking the mayor out of Jaws. Yes. You can't do it because that is like the, the whole thing, like the, the mayor, um, he's messing with people's lives. The spectacle, 4th of July, Stephen Yoon and him have a lot in common in the two movies, what their dynamic is and how they play with yeah. people's lives too. There, so. I, well, another thing I would add to this whole, this whole conversation, because I think you're right on track with all of the ideas. It's, there's also an aspect of the spectacle kind of being, it's almost like a hubris, like you're like looking into the face of God as if you're able to do that, but you'll get killed. I mean, the very opening shot, there's a spectacle of things falling from the sky and literally something goes through his father's eye and kills him, you know? Yeah. And, and you've That's got true. the other thing about it is um, I think that you've got uh jupe when he's a little kid, he gets the fist bump and I think he almost thinks he's charmed, you know, like, right. like he's special, he's special, you know, he's got the special ability that once again, that's hubris. That's like, there's like, like thinking that you're above it all, that you're special, that you're not just another animal that could be f- fed upon, which is what happens to people in this movie, literally. And they have to kind of discover that, yeah, you are just an animal that can be fed upon. And well, I we as humans think we're above it. Yeah. We, we yeah. think that we're, we're, we're not, we're special. Right. Like we're, we're like on this, this planet, oh, like, yeah. we can go mess with lions. We can have tigers in our houses and they're going to be fine with it. One other thing I want to bring up about the the, the Gordy scene, well, a couple things that I liked. I liked also how it does some other things just thematically that that work within the world. It's got a first. It's got the first fist bump. And there's a lot of things about firsts, right? The first animated thing. Now we're going to get the first shot of the actual shot of an alien. So there's a lot of that going on here. Uh, it's also got nice uh, parallelism with the balloons because, of course, balloons end up having, you know, a deadly and damaging effect at oh, the yeah. end of the movie. Uh, and the one thing that's mysterious about it that I don't quite have a handle on is the, the magically balancing shoe. I oh, don't yeah. quite know exactly how that fits other than if maybe it's just another example of him thinking he's charmed and that shoe is like a symbol of his kind of charmed, like an impossible nature. I don't know. Well, you know, sure. I think, I think know, it was a you... visit. <clears throat> Go ahead. I, honestly, I think it was a visit. And the same thing, like when Keith David, like when he, when he, that, that plane drops all the stuff, it drops everything because that's when the animal comes there. At least yeah. that's what I think. That's when it takes over in the cloud. I think it's another visit where the, this animal, which we, we haven't mentioned that either, that this alien, it's different. It's not an alien. It's not like a little green Martian kind of person. And I actually think that, um, some of the, the criticism that Jordan Peele has taken where he's, they're, they're like, people are like, oh, your, your movies are all like, like putting races against each other and stuff. I think he's like, fine, then we're not going to fight like little green, purple men or anything like that. We're going to have right. an animal kind of thing that's a different being that, that, that's up there. And I think that was really smart of him to do. Um, but yeah, like that, that, that whole predator animal thing, I think it's a big thing in there. And I think it's good decisions by him too. Yeah, and the reason that shoe propped up Ultimately, like for me, it like it doesn't matter in that like it's a thing that happened in part of this like horrific scene. I think we hear about stories of that all the time, you know. 
unfortunately there's a lot of like school violence and gun violence happening like in the in the news every single day and you hear these stories about just the individual sort of like weird and almost surreal things that people kind of see and think during those types of things and again they're not individual like actual like magical surreal things it's like when you look around a room and you find just the one thing to fixate on. And it's the one thing that jumps out. And I think that's what the shoe was to him. You know, it was this distillation of this horrendous thing. Um, and it was something he could um, um, uh, compartmentalize into his life. You know, it was the shoe that stood up with this tiny little drop of blood. It wasn't smeared in blood. It's kind of showing that like this trauma that happened to him is a part of what he experiences, but more than anything else, like what he takes away from it is just sort of like the, you know, I was there and this is what I saw. I shared a picture with you guys as well. Um, I uh, uh, noticed this when I was sort of like rewatching some of like the trailers and stuff before this. Um, the, uh, the There's a shot of like the Gordy um, uh, set when it's all abandoned and there's these like three Panavision cameras over on the side and I know that this is just sort of subtextual but they actually look like the uh, the three little like alien face masks that uh, the kids mm. wear at a certain part in the movie and I, I there's a certain part of me that has to feel like this wasn't in you know this was not um, coincidence like this is you know like not only is this movie about like we look at we we're looking into creatures' eyes. We're not supposed to look into creatures' eyes, but I think also there's a um, a subtextual part of it for me where I started seeing eyes where there weren't eyes and sort of looking away and looking towards them, and and that's powerful. That's that's weird that a movie can make you do that, like kind of alter a frame in that way. That's cool. I like it that they probably took that for the set design or the, the design of those masks too. It really looks evident. Yeah, and he does do things like he likes to put little Easter eggs all through his movies. Like you remember in us with the, the uh, Chud VHS and all the other stuff there. Well, in this movie, there's somebody that's wearing something from this in the movie. (laughs) And I really, really liked that because I own the entire series and I love this show. Um, When we're in the beginning, you know, all the, the producers and stuff they're working with. One of the guys is just wearing a Northern exposure hat. And I'm like, that's not on accident. Like he's telling people, I like this. This is this is good stuff that influenced me and stuff. It's a very great show set in Alaska. Weirdness, like nice, nice characters. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out too. So I, I like how Jordan he makes richness in his movies through that. Yes. I may I may have missed something and I'm not that well versed in IMAX cameras, but I didn't realize they had hand crank IMAX cameras. Was <laughs> was that was was that was that whole camera setup just was that something that uh uh what was it? Wincott, Dave Wincott, his character was that antlers. just something? Yeah, antlers, antlers host. What, was that? I think he made that 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 camera. I think like that. That's not like a normal camera. That that thing has been that that thing's been modified. Like yeah. people modify guns. He modified okay. that camera. There you go. You mean Quint? You're talking about Quint, right? The, the Quint's <laughs> basically yeah. Quint. Yes. Well, uh, top dollar from Crow because I noticed one of the uh, top hat was one of the uh, code names. I did not um, notice of course that. I was I, from, I, of course, I was from a Monopoly game, but I, I was like, I saw Top Hat. I'm like, oh, is that Top Dollar? But no, it wasn't. It was a different character. But anyway. You know, yeah. you mentioned the cinematography, and I think that cinematography is a big part of this. Not just because this was filmed in IMAX, presented on IMAX, and looks fucking amazing, by the way. Um, but I need to see it IMAX still. I, I haven't seen see it IMAX. It. I saw it Prime. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I need to see it in, in full IMAX. Um, but yeah, so the cinematographer here was uh, Hoyt Van uh, Hoytema. He does like, he did like Tenet. He does a lot of like Nolan stuff. Uh, and so it's really interesting to me that we've got Jordan Peele, who I would think of all the different like things that you can praise about Get Out and Us. I don't think that they were, I think they were well shot films, but I don't think that you would necessarily say like, you got to go to those for the cinematography, you go to them to the stories and um, the way everything's woven together. And I think that this was really an example of Jordan Peele as a filmmaker, knowing that what he's trying to create is sort of like a take on the summer blockbuster kind of like um, sort of like sitting at the crux where, um, you know, uh, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind turns into like Jaws, you know, like sort of that call that throwback to summer blockbuster. He gets a fantastic cinematographer who is specifically known for this type of shot because he knows he has to sell all the stuff that's up there. He has to sell the spectacle of the movie of not staring directly into this into the spectacle. And I thought that was also genius. And um, I believe there was some stuff I was just sort of like poking around. And I think there were some like special shots that they that he and Hoyt worked on that hadn't been done yet before um and so they were really pushing the scope of like really what IMAX cameras can do and so seeing them then we'll weave back around into having a character inside of the movie who is doing the exact same thing added like a really fun little meta context to the whole thing what um I don't know if uh stunt casting is the right term for this but uh, do you suppose there's any of that in this uh specifically with Keith David having been in they live like just to kind of throw mm-hmm. parallels to some of that in this I mean you could p- throw parallels to the thing in this as well yeah, yeah. that and, and if you look online Jordan Peele is trying to credit John Carpenter as being the greatest film horror director of all time like it's it's all over there whenever yeah. he tries to praise him he's like Praise John Carpenter. Oh, he's like, I will not stand for this. I will not stand for this John Carpenter slander or something like that. <laughs> well, no, I think it's on purpose. He cast Keith David in the be- in the beginning of this movie as the father too, because Keith David and John Carpenter for me are very intertwined together, yeah. just as much as Russell Crowe or not Russell yeah. Crowe. Wow, Kurt Russell yeah. is with, with one John of them Carpenter. Russells. Yeah, yeah I, I, a Russell. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you don't cast Keith David on accident. You don't just like wake up one day and say like, yeah, let me see who's on the Rolodex. I guess I'll get this guy as the father, you know, Um, Jordan Peele is incredibly, and you don't kill him, you know, like Jordan Peele is an incredibly film literate guy, like, you know, in, in the way that's not like wink, wink, nudge, nudgy. Like this is a guy that knows his shit and uses his references to make something whole cloth new, but that still honors the things that like inform him. And um, of course, you know, when you have someone like Keith David and you have him also talking, you're right. Like I've been seeing those threads on Twitter. Some guy, um, not some guys, a, a web artist named Adam Ellis did this thing. It's like, Hey, I think Jordan Peele might've made like the best, like three horror movies in a row. Can anyone name someone who's done better? And even Jordan Peele popped in that thread. Like you mentioned, it was just like, uh, have you seen John Carpenter, my dude? Like <laughs> this guy blows me out of the water. Um, so I, yeah, I, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, Keith David was, maybe it's stunt casting, um, but maybe it's also something along the lines of like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes stunt casting carries a specific type of baggage for me. Yeah, like that's, a, that's, that's why I wasn't sure if it was the right word, but I, I, I just meant like in the, in the sense that, uh, um, Hey, we're going to use Keith David in this to get you thinking about the thing or get you thinking about, uh, they live or, or maybe it was just, uh, he likes Keith David. Cause who didn't like Keith David? It's in- 
It's intentional. It's casting. homage casting. It's homage casting. There you go. There you go. That, that's what we should call it from now on. Instead of stunt casting when they do this, it's homage, homage casting. And they're casting. trying to stick an idea in your head from something else by putting this person into it. Kind of like yes. um, like uh, Kill Bill even. Quentin Tarantino puts the, the girl um, Gogo. She's also in Battle Royale. Yeah. I think that he did that on purpose to kind of make people watch that movie with things. Kind of, I don't know. Jordan seems like he's, like people try to say he's M. Night Shyamalan. I think that that's kind of uh, like it's not right for him. He's more like Tarantino weaving things together. He, yeah. he He's more like Hitchcock with the way that he can stage things now, like showing like Will's saying with the shots in this. I was amazed by how this movie was put together. I was just like everything was so good. And it's like he, he took care even like with the music, like sunglasses at night. That's not in the movie on accident. Yeah. <laughs> that's about like looking at the thing, too. That's about yeah. like you can't look in the eye. You put your sunglasses on, you're fine. And like it, we, we haven't even talked about the grief that Daniel Kaluuya's character is going through yeah. in this movie. We haven't even talked about Daniel Kaluuya. This movie has yeah. so much going <laughs> on in it. Like, my God. But like the whole movie, he seems like a broken, broken man. And I buy it from him all the way through the movie. Like in the beginning, he's, he's kind of, I, I, I kind of need to see it again because I think he smiles. Like when he's with his father, even like, like when they're working with the horses in those parts. And then his dad dies. And we go six months later in the movie and he's broken. He can't look anybody in the eye whatsoever. Like him, him and the horse are the only two that kind of relate. Like he can't, when he's on set, he can't even talk to anybody to like, like tell them a point. And some people would be like, that's weak. I thought it was so brilliant and a great portrait of how grief would be six months after losing your dad, somebody that is like the head of the business that you're working on, somebody that like the, the, um, what is it? Hayworth Hollywood horses or something like that, or Hayworth Hollywood horses. Yeah. Like we're talking about Keith David. He's the shadow over this whole movie. I mean, we even see like the, the little tiny bits they put in. It's like the video of him doing the intro talking about the black man on the horse and his great grandfather or his grandfather. And then Kiki's talking about it later. And she has to put the extra great in there because we're a different generation removed from everything. There's just there's so much in this movie, so many things. Yeah, and I don't think you can underestimate um, Daniel Kaluuya. Kul- I can never say his name. Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Oh, <laughs> thank actually, you. Help me. Is, uh, is, who is it? Uh, Tiffany Haddish. When she was um, announcing him for the Oscars, yeah. she had the best mispronunciation of his name because she couldn't <laughs> say it. And she was, she called him Daniel um, Kaluuya. Hallelujah. There you Daniel go. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, that's what she called him. It was fantastic. I don't think you underestimate the subtlety of his performance in this movie because he has to convey so much and he doesn't do it in this really uh, wild way. And and by giving him his sister, who's so brash and kind of out there and such an energetic figure, it, it really lets him shine in that other space, I think, mm-hmm. where if he if he had to carry it kind of alone he might be more apt to go bigger in certain parts than he does in this movie. And I think that, like you said, that uh, there's kind of a sequence, right? Opening shot, the stuff falls out of the sky, dad gets injured. Then there's the quick shot of him in the car and he's with oh. in the truck with his dad, trying to keep his dad uh, lucid while he knows his dad is dying. And then straight from there, right after that, you're going to get the scene of the, um, the horse in the, um, the, commercial or whatever they're doing the scene that they're going to be doing and the way he acts in there like you're right he and the horse are on the same plane right they're both Mm -hmm. sitting there they're both being treated and there's where you kind of get some of the subtext right too like how they're treated how they're both treated in that space Mm -hmm. how he is kind of 
down downward trod and you know his face is down his eyes are down he's not meeting anyone's gaze and then of course that becomes a huge subtext to the alien itself right yeah you, know? you get the exploitation Meet its gaze get killed so much subtlety yeah you get that exploitation of you know the people that work within hollywood and you can definitely see like a you know it chews you up and spits you out which we see from the stuff falling from the sky but uh and i, and I want to double back to that but before i do you mentioned something about the the relationship between Keith David and his kids, Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Lane, that I think is, is important for me is that you have this like almost like perfect businessman in the Keith David character, right? He sort of has it all, you know, he knows his job and he also knows how to sell his job. And each of his kids got a different one of those traits. Um, Daniel Kaluuya has got responsibility, but no charisma, the character, not the actor. Um, just to make that clear, Daniel Kaluuya has a ton of charisma. Uh, and then the Kiki Lane mm-hmm. character, she has all the charisma, but none of the responsibility. And we get to see the way those two things clash through their relationships through the end of the film, where at the very end, we've got the Kiki Lane character. She's the one that is responsible for both getting the killer shots and killing the monster. Um, So she has come full circle. She has done something she could have just run away and gone off to do her own stuff, but she stuck it out and fought. Meanwhile, that last shot of um, uh, Daniel Kaluuya on the horse he feels more comfortable and in his element than he's felt at any point in this movie. I don't know that it's full on charisma that he's got there, but he has poise. He has something he's regained something that he's lost. So I love that both of the characters got the missing element to their father. That they were missing by that final climax. I love a good character arc. I, I read real quick that I, I thought it was Kiki Palmer or is Kiki Lane. Is that something different? Hmm. I'm not sure her last it's name. Oh my Kiki God, it is, it, is, okay. it is Kiki Palmer. Okay. You're right. It's I, Kiki I Palmer. kept hearing yeah. you say Kiki Lane. I'm like, I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, my bad. Kiki Palmer. What happened to the fries guy, by the way? Just realizing that uh, when we're talking about the character arcs and stuff, what happened to him? I think the last time we saw him, so he got wrapped up in that tarp, right? Yeah. And then he gets sucks up with the fence. And then I think the fence gets spit back out and he rolls down the hill, spit out too. And yes. I think that's the last thing we see. So I think the assumption is that he's probably alive, but very battered. In fact, I think we see him rolling down with some camera pieces. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. He had like the barbed wire wrapped around him in the tarp. Yes. So he kind of got saved oh. by. I thought that was going to rip him in half, by the way, just so you I, know, when he was putting the barbed wire around him, I'm like, dude, you're going to get bisected. You're, yeah. you're going to be two. You're going to. Yeah. When the, when the tarp came down. I, I thought that was the bottom half of him <laughs> came down and then like his whole body came out and I was like, okay, but um, yeah, can what we, did happen to him? Can He's we call an underrated out, character though? He yeah, was so he was good. great. He was, he so was good. kind of uh Riz Ahmed ish, like Riz Ahmed light, I guess I would say. Um, but um, we got to call out a few things. I, I mean, see what you guys think. I thought these were great things. Um, first of all, just the slow unveiling of what the creature is, like how that is. It, it goes from don't see alien at all. Then we see a spaceship. Then we see the spaceship kind of being weird, like kind of fluttering and having like fabric and you're not quite sure. And then it's a hole in the bottom and it's sucking through the hole. And then eventually you see the full on alien. I thought all of that was spectacular. And we got to mention the the one scene where we're inside well, there's a few scenes where we're kind of inside it, but there's one scene where we're inside it and we're seeing the people get sucked up into its digestive tract or whatever that is. 
that scene was freaking great. And you were just like, you didn't see much. You didn't see a lot, but it was horrifying. I have a uh, friend who he messaged me after watching this movie. He, he knew that I saw it and he said, uh, hey, so, um, uh, you know, I have night terrors. And one of my night terrors is sort of like reminiscent of exactly what happened is the people are being sort of like, when you do that quick cut, you see the people like swirling up and then you start seeing people like in this thing. And at this point, you don't know that it's a creature at this point. You still think that it's a ship. Like they haven't, they'll reveal like a, like five minutes later that he thinks it's a monster. Um, but you see people in this like fluttering thing and they're kind of being squished a bit and you start to see blood and you hear screams. And then as it's flying around, you're still hearing the screams. That's the second most terrifying scene in all of horror this year. The first being the um, uh, the Gordy scene. Uh, this movie is, yes, it is a big blockbuster, and it's not necessarily as traditional horror, maybe, if, as his previous film. Nothing scares me. It scared yeah. me. It this scared movie, the was, shit out of me. Yeah. I, I was in the theater. I was like, oh, my God, and I was on the edge of my seat, and it made me jump a couple times. That never happens. I think, <laughs> like, I th- I think the, the probably the... I don't know if it's scary, but the, uh, well, first of all, I appreciate a good raining blood sequence. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> are you, are you, are you, I'm thinking about the same scene. Yeah. But, uh, the, the, I, I thought the creepiest part was certainly the, the, and we already talked about it, but the Gordy attack on the set or just, and the, I, I think that's what helps this movie a lot is cause it's, it's really, um, slow a lot of the times, just like really quiet, just kind of, and, because we're following uh, Daniel Kaluuya most of the time, and and he didn't talk much. And then so when something happens, like you don't need a big thing to happen, like just even little tiny things like really stand out. And then when you get that scene like that uh, that monkey attack, it was like, oh shit, this is and all like you know with the lights and everything, and it's pretty uh pretty horrifying to watch. It was a brutal attack too. When Gordy goes back for seconds, I was just that, that I was like, "Oh my god!" But the thing I thought you were talking about with the raining blood is something that made me laugh and then jump right away. It's when Daniel's in the car and like they're doing the whole thing with the fake horse, and it comes up and he, he's kind of looking out and he sees something. And he just goes, "Nope, nope." Mm-hmm. And he's listening to sunglasses at night in the car, and then the horse goes slam right through the window i was yep. like oh my god and there too you're also getting the drip like dribbles from like digestion and stuff too that scene was fantastic and it creeped me out made me jump and laugh at the same time can't ask for more from a horror movie than that at all so i have all a right. question for you guys actually i saw a couple of reviews where they complained about the ending with the balloon blowing him up uh going up and being to blowing up the alien basically and killing it um and how or monster, maybe not an alien. Maybe it's lived here all of our lives. Um, <laughs> ancient aliens, dude. Ancient aliens. That's right, man. But I thought, uh, I didn't think that that was intentional. I didn't think the the killing of the creature was intentional. I thought that the balloon was just a lure to get it into the the frame to get the photo. And that the killing with the balloon was just a happy accident. So I kind of want to get your opinion on that. And did it seem cheap to you? I thought it was great because it was kind of an homage to Jaws, of course, as well. Yes. You know, with the blowing up at the end. Uh, and also the the repetition of balloons and balloon imagery and all that kind of stuff and being destructive and all that. Did you guys think it was accidental or do you think it was intentional on her part? I think if, it, yeah, if it was intentional, it'd be... Uh, I didn't pick up on how... <laughs> Like, yeah, it just seemed like more of a lure that just happened to accidentally kill it. 
I think it was an accident, but like at the same time, like um, for, from her perspective, because I think if the plan was always to uh, kill the creature by doing this, the plan would have dealt with that more. Like, you know, like even her getting on the motorcycle to ride over there only happened because a random guy showed up in the middle of their existing plan to like drop off a motorcycle. So this was her being resourceful and scrappy. Now on the filmmaker's perspective, it wasn't an accident though. Cause if you really think about it, the inciting incident of the Steven Yoon characters like arc was a bunch of balloons exploding in a set and we get sort of a full circle moment here thematically where a balloon uh, exploding is not what sets off the creature, uh, the first one being Gordy, but what kills it. You know, this, you know, jean jacket in the sky. We we, we talked earlier about how uh, uh, probably not a good idea to spoil this movie before going in. Um, and just kind of your guys' thoughts on this. Um, I think it almost, I don't think, having this movie spoiled would be the end of the world. In fact, I think it helped kind of arm you going in a little bit to kind of be prepared for things that are to come and things to look out for. Um, Cause like the, you know, you know, people uh, compare Jordan Peele to M night Shyamalan. And I think that has a lot to do with the marketing because it's, you know, uh, a lot of it seems to be like, there's going to be a, this big twist. I don't think there's really a big twist. Other well, than, and it happens in the first act, basically, or second act, not like M. Night, where it's the end of the movie yeah, and then right. everything goes. Yeah, like, right. I mean, I mean it was a monster it, all along. Credits. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think everyone knows going in that it's an alien. Uh, I thought it was really clever that the spaceship was the alien. So that that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that that was pretty cool. But I I think like with all the all the themes and the ideas and this, it's. I think if someone were to spoil it for you, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing because then you just have that in your mind going in and then you can start kind of uh, piecing things together a lot quicker. I think I would be so much. Uh, I was just going to say there was so much fun to discovery with it. And that's all. And I agree. That's the same point I was going to make. Like, I think that um, what I would, I would maybe counter with is like, I think this is the type of movie that you should go in cold the first time and then go back and watch a second time yeah. because yeah. that point of discovery, because there's moments in this film that I think don't work. If you know what the, um, the twist is like, there's another moment of tension building early on where we have, um, OJ, the, the Daniel Kaluuya character walking through the stable and you don't know what's happening at this point. And then you see this like little alien head pop out and you're just like, Oh shit, is this going to be like signs? What what's about to happen? This is early in the movie too. So it's like, Oh, they're really shooting their shot. And as you get through this tension, you realize it's the kids from the neighboring ranch, like fucking with them. But if you knew going in that this was going to be a monster feature, not a, uh, you know, a little green men feature, um, you'd have to one kill that scene entirely um, because it just doesn't work. Uh, also, there's a shot where he's like riding past the valley and you see the stuff happening down at um, uh, Jupes, uh, the Stephen Yen character's um, uh, ranch thing as he's got the lights going and you hear his voice through a speaker and you can't really figure out what's going on. So it like plants this little seed in your head that like, okay, there's something happening, but I don't know what it is yet. So I've got to come back and do this again. If you know that it's a monster going into it, you can start putting the two and two together there. And like, you don't get that fun of like, sort of like working through the puzzle box. I also think it's a movie that makes the, like when I was watching it, some movies you kind of just shut off. 
and you just watch the movie and you let it like go over you. This one, my brain was active, like start to finish through this movie. I was trying to like sort things out. I was trying to figure things out. I was paying attention to everything. Like this was a very good sensory experience in the theater. And I think that if you tell people too much, it takes a little bit of that away. And it's, it's just such a fun game that he put together for this movie. And the game is figuring out that it's a monster and not an alien spacecraft. Because also, I thought for a little bit, I'm like, are all these people being brought up there for experiments? And I'm like, wait, what's going on here? And you see like them getting chomped. And I'm like, oh, no, they're being eaten right now. And I did not want to know that going in. I'm like, oh, that's so much, that, that's so much cooler to find out that the, the thing is eating them and it's that vicious. So, yeah, th- those are kinds of things I would not want to spoil going into it. It's, it was fun finding out. Here's maybe an unfair question, just because the internet loves a good list. Um, how does this film rank with Get Out and Us for you? For me personally, um, I I actually think that he's gotten a lot better as a filmmaker, and I can see it. So I love Get Out for what it was, and it's kind of just, just like this cultural footprint that it has. And like, it's a classic. It's great. And my mom even loves Get Out. I took her to see that in the theater. Us, I love how it works on nightmare logic. I I love how the movie like makes me feel while I'm watching it and how it's a nice metaphor for the haves and haves nots. It's not even about black, white, anything like that. That movie is about rich versus poor. And I like how that was. Um, This one, though, as far as a movie goes, everything is as far as the filmmaking and everything. I think this is his best thing. And I think he's going to get better as time goes on. Personally, I've been kind of reserved in a little bit of my praise for Jordan Peele. And I've just praised the movies, not so much him as a filmmaker. Now he's done three. So I've seen him kind of graduate now. And I'm like, all right, now I can start talking about you like a Titan. I can start talking about him in the same pantheon with like Carpenter and some of the others. Cause I really see it with him now. It's not just like a, a one shot, a two shot. It's, he, he's got something really going on and I can't like, he's young. I can't wait to see like where he goes with everything. Like I love the dude. I went to upright citizens brigade um, for, for school as well. And that's where Jordan Peele went. Jordan Peele and key. That's that they, we talked about them a lot on the curriculum. We learn a lot of their things too. So like he's somebody that I was excited for when get out came out. Now I'm like, okay, you're awesome now. I love you, dude. Anyway, that's my take on that. Um. I- to, oh, go, to, go for me, it's too early to even rank this one. Um, um, I, I think I like us better than Get Out, but only like like they're they're very close. And uh, this one will probably be right there. And I, I agree with Andrew that he this feels like he's leveled up quite a bit, and he was already pretty high as far as uh, uh, his movies go. Um, but this one looks like a this one looks like more of a uh bigger budget especially towards the end um and yeah it, it's uh it, it's a really good it, it's a really good uh kind of blockbuster type movie but it's also a quiet movie like uh he he has uh that uh Tarantino does this a lot too he Tarantino knows when to be loud he knows when to be quiet he knows when to build suspense he knows when to pay it off like Jordan Peele's got that in spades especially in this movie right. I, it's like the Pixies or the band Pixies. They knew when to be loud. They knew when to be quiet. They knew how to like take their their audience and like mimic how they wanted to. Yeah, they, yeah. This wasn't like this wasn't wall to wall like uh, 
just in your face, like action or set pieces or anything. Um, and we mentioned earlier about, you know, Daniel Kalua just like having his quiet moments and those quiet moments linger until they're not quiet moments anymore. And then, and that, that was another thing that the scene did weird was the editing. Um, at least uh, the, uh, the theater I saw it in, it just kept cutting to black in really strange spots. <laughs> it was, it was that, okay. That that did happen. That <laughs> yeah, wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a glitch. It's like he leaves you wanting more in like a bunch of scenes. Like you 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 don't want the extended version, but you almost could take an extended version because in all, especially those scenes, you're like, oh, 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 okay, I know. Yeah, what I kind of was like, go back there, <laughs> and yeah. then. I yeah. I think I agree with both of you on these as far as the rating too. I would say, um, so Carpenter is the comparison I make more than Tarantino because I think the difference to me is. Tarantino will literally redo versions of sequences and scenes and stuff in his movies, even though he puts them together in his own unique way. Whereas this is more like lovingly taking things from the past, but making something totally itself. That being said, these all kind of like Carpenter fill different roles in, I like them all, but in different ways, right? So if I'm in mood for a really, you know, small, intense little indie thing, you know, horror thriller with Carpenter, you know, I might go for, uh, might go for Halloween, but if I want like, you know, a really cool creature feature, I'm going to go for the thing. And if I want something that's just crazy and over the top and, and outlandish, I might go for big trouble in little China. So, but I love them all, but I love them all. Right. And this is kind of similar, right? Because, uh, what you're seeing with this one is that he can do something big and entertaining and blockbuster E but still keep his personality in there and still make it interesting and unique and weird and layered. And that's a step, I think. And that's where you're saying like, okay, he can do a lot of different things and he can still do them and he can still be himself as well. And that's hard to do. That's the kind of thing Spielberg did too, right? Where you'd see see E.T. or you'd see Duel or you'd see Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And they were all Spielberg. And uh, so I think in that way, I think he's coming into his own, own, but I wouldn't say I love one more than the other. I think they would fit different moods for me as a movie watcher. And I think they're all pretty great. There's a comparison to M. Night Shyamalan that I think is worth making too, that like, yeah, I think that people are, are, I think there's a, an unfair comparison of just like, both of these filmmakers like to have sort of like a twist to their story. Therefore, right. it must be the same. I think the more compelling uh, comparison for me is, um, so I was, I got to be like the front row for like the world premiere of Split when that came out, which was really fucking cool. Not just because of the movie, but because um, I got to see it, an interview with uh, M. Night Shyamalan during the Q&A afterwards. And I think that, you know, because this was at a point in his career where he had gone to the top of the mountain made avatar and then got shot back down to the bottom of the mountain and had to build back up. Um, And he said, look, like when uh, Bloomhouse came to me, they said, we're not going to give you a lot of money because we think you make better films on a smaller budget. And I think that that's probably very true of M night Shyamalan. I think that he's the type of filmmaker who, when he has more money than he knows what to do with, he doesn't know how to kind of scale up his ideas So what's interesting to me about Jordan Peele is I think he's the exact opposite. And that's the comparison I want to make there. You know, this was um, this looked and felt like a larger budget film. And he uses every inch of that screen to really tell this story. His story levels up to match the 
um, you know, the, the budget and the scope of everything to it. Yeah. I, I don't know which one I necessarily like the best. Like it's still early on and I'm still kind of in like no pipe territory. So uh, that may like die down a little bit. Uh, but I think, gosh, you, you gun to my head. I'm probably like us slightly at the top for me, but this one's right up there and definitely the strongest as a, as a piece of like filmmaking. But I think, you think my strong opinion on the order though, um, I watched these back to back to back on mm. Thursday. Like I watched, I got up in the morning. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch get out. And then I watched us. And then I'm like, yeah, okay. I it was actually opposite order us and then get out. And then it was like half an hour before I went and saw nope in the theater. So they're real fresh in my head. Like yeah. and, and seeing how he's evolved as a filmmaker. It's really fun. It's really nice. And I think that the carpenter, that's a very, very apt um, comparison to him and the opposite M night, which is where I think yes. you're going there. Exactly. Because yeah. Also like he comes up with his twist to come up with a story. Right. M night comes up with a story to come up with a twist. So it's, it's very different. And when people talk about that too, I would ask them, I'd be like, don't most of the stories that you like have some sort of twist in them at some point. Like it's not, it's, it's when it's at the end that it feels cheap. And right. it feels like, uh, and it, it's cool with the sixth sense, but when you do it with every single one of your movies, I'm like, okay, except for Lady in the Water, which I kind of like. Um, that one's not really a twist movie. Secretly, you know, I, I don't know if we're allowed to say this, but I secretly kind of like Lady in the Water too. It's so, a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that movie came out and everyone was shitting on it. And I was like, oh, it's because they have a critic in his movie. And shits on it. <laughs> That's, that's, the theater, that's the only like, reason. That's the only reason they're shitting on this movie. Yeah, I had more fun with that one with Lady in the Water than pretty much any other M Night movie. So, and I think that M Night would appreciate that too. He'd probably be like, you know what? I love that movie. It's my it's my homage to Freaks and like this kind of culture and yeah. all this stuff that came up. But so here, here's something to consider though, because uh, Jordan Peele, I think for not everybody, for most people, I think he's three for three right now. Yeah. Um. I'm, I'm I'm like fast forwarding like a movie or two or three or however many it is until Jordan Peele comes out with this movie that just doesn't connect with people. And then, all the, and then all of a sudden the conversation becomes what it was with the M. Night Shyamalan or so many other people that like reach certain heights and then. I, I I just want to I just want to take it in like right now. Yeah. Remember that. Remember this part where everyone's like all high on Jordan Peele, and remember that when he finally makes his bad movie, if he does, probably will because everyone does. But when Not he makes Tarantino? his bad movie, what's Tarantino's bad movie? Like seriously, like like Jordan could make just so good most movies. would say most would say Grindhouse. I don't, but I Death Proof is one of my favorite of his. But that's not, but. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, he he could go, he could uh, maintain his quality throughout. But like, I, I'm thinking of when he makes his bad movie, and then everyone's ghost like, on Mars. "Jordan Peele ain't shit." I'm like, "Come on, dude!" Yeah, <laughs> like, that's he's gonna that, make his ghost on Mars. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the thing. It's like because you're battling two different things. You're you're or Jordan Peele is. You know, you're battling not just like you know objective quality and storytelling and craft and all of the things that any filmmaker brings into literally any film they do but he's also coming into the expectation of what a jordan peele film is supposed to be and should be and so at a certain point i think it's going to be less that he necessarily makes like an absolute stinker who knows maybe yeah that happens too but i think more and more that you know as he makes a specific type of film people are going to expect a specific type of film from him and he's going to be stuck in a a decision point like am i going to keep making that 
film or am I going to try something different? And if he tries something different, it's either going to be something that may be out of his wheelhouse or that maybe is really good, but people don't connect with because it's not an air quotes Jordan Peele movie. So I think that, you know, the shine is going to come off of Jordan Peele eventually. And again, it may not even be an effect like a quality thing. Um, you know, it's just the way that these things work. But for me, I, I, you're absolutely right, Eric. Like, I'm enjoying this area where we live in right now. I'm loving kind of living in the era of like, you know, I can go watch a Jordan Peele movie and feel like it's going to click with me or an Ari Aster film or a uh, uh, Robert Eggers film. You know, like, I think that, you know, there's these, this this crop of filmmakers like Karen Kursama, um, these, these crop of filmmakers who've come up recently who are a few horror films in and all of them have been absolute bangers. And like, I'm going to go see their new film, Sight Unseen. And Jordan Peele is one of those. I wonder, I, I think Jordan Peele should probably get in a comedy. I think he'd do really good in it. What do you guys think? You know, that's a good <laughs> idea. I, I, I had this idea for this sketch for him, though. Like, he and this guy should be talking about the women that they know, and they should be wanting to stay bitch, um, <laughs> but they have to go, like, everywhere that they aren't around and look around and say, bitch, and they should end up in space. <laughs> and that's how it should go. I think that's, 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 what they should that's do. a really good idea. You what if, that what if before someone steals that? What if they make a movie about like I don't know something whimsical like a cat? Oh, you know what? <laughs> they, they should do the opposite John Wick the- movie. They should do the John Wick comedy. I, I'm going to go pitch this to him now. <laughs> Actually, speaking of like because uh, obviously Jordan Peele wasn't known for uh, horror um, when he did Get Out. And then that's kind of his, uh, that's kind of his thing now. Um, especially after watching this, I'd, I'd like to see him take on like just a full on action movie. Cause he, he like shoots action extremely well in this. You know, I think that we all agree. We'd like to see him do whatever genre he decides to do. He could do a yeah. musical and I'm going to go see that yeah. musical. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care. He can do like, he's actually gotten to the point where I don't care what he does. Mm-hmm. I will go watch it. Just like, just like Will's saying. Like in the same ones that you say, I'm not going to like Robert Eggers. You don't need to show me a preview. I'm sitting yeah. there like, like first day for his movie. Like th- there's, I-, I like it that we're living in this era where there's filmmakers like that too, that we're going to just go see Jordan Peele like, courtroom drama. I can't <laughs> wait to do it. You know oh, what? Yeah. I'm going to watch anatomy of, anatomy of a murder for the first time today. I'm totally down oh. with the courtroom drama. Oh, there you go. And yeah. for uh, a treat. Yeah, I know. I know. I watched 12. I almost put it on last night. Um, and it would have been an in the heat of the night kind of thing. Instead, I put on 12 Angry Men. Yeah. I'm like, okay, 90 minutes, not 180 minutes. <laughs> well, before, uh, uh, I guess we still got time, but I think uh, we can wrap this up. Any final words on uh, Nope? Let's I think we all say you should, if you haven't already seen it, why are you to the end of this? Yeah. <laughs> why have you listened to this whole spoiler <laughs> episode? But... <laughs> I think uh, I, we would probably all agree it's worth a rewatch, not just a watch. I yes. think oh, I'm going to see it again. I need yeah. to go to see this IMAX because I, I'm I'm dumb. Like I wanted to go in so cold that I didn't know it was shot in IMAX camera. I, I was not aware that it was shot for that because I've been trying to just stay away from any and all information that I could get about the movie. I heard that after I saw it, and I'm like, well, shit. There's like the biggest IMAX in Florida is close to me, so I'm going to go see it on that sometime this week, like an actual. <laughs> IMAX, IMAX. Yeah, so. there is one thing I almost forgot. Do you guys stay for after the credits? No. Yes, oh. I did. 
And I mean, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was like, a, I what, knew it, what, what was it like? A, just a, a card of like Jupiter's. Whatever. Yeah, they, they they introduced um, Young Thor, I think, in the. <laughs> no, um, no there, yeah, it's just a title card. Therefore, just like uh, um, Jupiter's whatever. Uh, come ride the ride at Universal Studios. Like basically, like what I thought was neat about it was it's already turned like that little title card felt cynical to me, you know, mm-hmm. um, you turned this tragedy that happened on this set, uh, into a Saturday night live sketch inside of the movie. And now there's this new tragedy that, you know, people caught on tape and all of those reporters showed up in the TMZ reporter guide. And now check out the ride at universal. Like, you know, it's immediately been turned back into spectacle by the end of the yep. credits. Yeah. But That's yeah, that, do, that's just, it? Um, just for anyone listening, it's not like a scene. It's just, yeah, it's just that title card at the at the yeah. very end. But uh, I, that's a good I, joke. I, I, I like your yeah. take on it, William. I, I like that too because, of course, they would turn it into a theme park ride. They'd be like, "How do we make money off of this?" Would be the <laughs> yeah. first thought that really happened. Like you, you know, it would be too. We, uh, we need to, we need to exploit this. Like, come up with T-shirts and, and alien flags and everything, and let, let let's sell them to people. Uh-huh. It would, it would totally happen. Well, speaking of which, if I die in a horrible tragedy, uh, you guys and anyone listening, go ahead and make T-shirts and <laughs> exploit my. Tragedy. Oh yeah. I- is what I'm hearing that the three of us have exclusive merchandising, merchandising rights to your tragedy? Yes. In okay. fact, you can have mine too. Not, not only not only can you, I want you to. <laughs> I implore okay. you to do so. All right. <laughs> Excellent. After your Viking funeral, we will do that. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 that from the Guar documentary. That seemed like a very good funeral to me. Yeah. <laughs> But one thing that I, I, I would like to say to people, though, like if, if you watch the movie, you really like um, some of the message things behind it and stuff. I, I watched a movie the other day that I thought was so fresh, so wonderful that I think should be sought out by people in the heat of the night from Norman Jewison, who did Moonstruck, which is a, a fantastic comedy. It, it's edited by Hal Ashby, starring Sidney Portier and Rod Steiger. That movie seems so fresh, like with all the race things in it. And also the I, I, the way that it approached the abortion issue from a pre Roe versus Wade stance. Like, I think that that movie needs to be re-released into theaters. So I just want to say at the end, check out In the Heat of the Night. I don't know where it's streaming or anything. I bought the 4K, but that movie, that's that's fresh. And it actually like put it back into theaters. Like it could use a rerun. Like it's good. They kept me up until like, like, almost two in the morning and I meant to go to sleep. I just wanted to see what the 4k looked like, but man, that movie was great and it fits with this kind of stuff. So yeah. That's my last word. That, those are wonderful nights, but terrible mornings when that happens. <laughs> it was, it was, I woke up far too early and didn't mean to, but I'm glad I watched the movie. All right. Well, uh, any final <laughs> words, Bruce? I just want to thank uh, William Lindis from Movie Bears Podcast. And I want to Andrew thank Martin Andrew Martin from, from Andrew, Watches, Andrew Movies. Watches Movies. Thank you, Bruce, for getting a hold of me. And thank you, Bruce, for putting this together and, and putting together like the nice little, nice little message thing. It um, was kind of it was kind of Eric, but he said, "Hey, make that happen." So I just did the other half of it. Well, because yeah, I, I was literally going into the movie theater when I when I hit Bruce. Up. So I said, "Fine, I'll make it happen." And between the two of us, we made it happen. 
I'm glad you all did. Right. This was an incredibly fun conversation. Thank you so much, guys. All right, let's yep. all fist bump. Thank you. Let's fist bump fist before bump. we get before something bad happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have a good day, guys. Chat with you online. Bye. 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 Bye.